we are live. And yes, I was a couple minutes late. I pulled up a hizzy, but I had to heat up my coffee, okay? So I'm, I'm never late. You guys forgive me. Forgive me. Uh, it, won't be, it won't be a recurring thing. So anyways, I got a big show for you guys. I was just, I just stumbled upon something on Twitter. Uh, Carrie Lake is now claiming that they, are, they, they can prove hundreds of thousands of illegal votes were counted in the state of Arizona. This is much bigger than, you know, so, so far all, all that we've been hearing is the election was rigged because of machines breaking down on election day causing voter disenfranchisement, but it appears we have a lot more than that. So we're going to uh we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the fact that Mohav County is gearing up to sue Maricopa County after being forced to certify under duress. And I also want to cover uh because Mr. Brian Lupo, our good friend, he's covering um this trial with Green Beret Jeremy Brown, who's on trial right now in Tampa, and his lawyers just broke down the fact that the FBI has planted evidence in his trial. So we're going to cover all this and much more, but first, let's hear from the sponsor of this show, GoldCo. Guys, listen, the last time the economy looked like this, the stock market tanked 50%, the U.S. dollar lost 46% of its value, and the price of oil quadrupled. Yet, while the U.S. economy collapsed and inflation ran through the roof, the price of gold shot up 1,300%, and silver rocketed over 2,400%. So if history repeats itself, we could see it happen again. Can you afford to miss what could be the biggest gold and silver boom of our generation? That's why I want you to visit nicklovesgold.com, because when you do... You'll not only get the chance to protect your retirement savings with gold and silver, you could get up to $10,000 in free silver just for doing it. This is a rare opportunity, so don't miss what could be your best opportunity to protect your retirement savings. Visit NickLovesGold.com. That's NickLovesGold.com. Okay, guys, so let's not waste any time here. Let's jump right into it. I want to play for, uh, for you guys this video where Carrie Lake was speaking to the media and says that they believe they can prove hundreds of thousands of votes were counted in Arizona. And I was running against uh, the woman overseeing the election. Then when, when these uh, counties outside of Maricopa County looked at what Maricopa County did and said, wait a minute, when you run an election, that's a sham. It affects and disenfranchises our voters. Can you please prove to us what's going on here? Explain why the machines didn't work and the tabulators were all broken. Surprise, surprise, on election day, they all seemed to break down. Uh, and when they said we're not going to certify this, Katie Hobbs' office threatened them being locked up. It's like lock up or, you know, certify this election or you'll be locked up. Talk about, you know, working under duress with a gun to your head. That's exactly what happened. This whole system is a mess here in Arizona. It's not just an embarrassment. They're trampling on our sacred vote, and that's why I'm fighting it. You know, we had a movement here. Katie Hobbs, conversely, didn't even campaign. She was, we called her Basement Hobbs because she pulled the page out of Basement <laughs> Biden's playbook. She never campaigned. Maybe she knew that because she was in charge of the elections. It was going to go her way. But the people don't trust the elections. They don't believe the outcome. She sat there and certified the sham of an election, and we will be fighting it in a court of law. Uh, can, Carrie, can you explain the lawsuit that you and your team are pursuing? Well, I'm going to save that for when we when we bring okay. the lawsuit forth, and I think we're going to be bringing it forth next Monday. It's mm -hmm. five days, but when the fifth day falls on a Saturday, you can wait until the next business day. So we're going to be um, bringing forth our lawsuit, and there's a lot of challenges we're making. There, are, we we believe that we can show there's a widespread um, illegal votes being counted. 
uh, to the tune of hundreds of thousands. Bottom line is we've got to get this in order. A lot of people are saying, oh, I'm too tired to keep fighting this battle. What is our choice? We have to look into our children's spaces, our grandchildren's spaces, and, and, and let them know we're doing everything we can to ensure they have a solid, a bright future. And if we don't work to restore faith and honesty in our elections, our children will be enslaved by tyrants, basically. Boom. Boom, ladies and gentlemen. So Carrie Lake, uh, she's being very, very... She's keeping her cards close to her chest here. But she did choose to throw out there the fact that they they think they can prove hundreds of thousands of illegal votes counted in the state of Arizona. Now, like I said, this is much, much bigger than, oh, machines broke down on Election Day and it disenfranchised Election Day voters. There has to be something more here, and they think that they can prove it, which I find very interesting and a little confusing because... Um, so Carrie Lake sued Maricopa County, and I think it was November 28th she filed a lawsuit, and the reason was because Maricopa County has refused to turn over the records that she requested. We had Kelly Townsend. Uh, she requested records from Maricopa County. We had Jennifer Wright from the Attorney General's office request records from Maricopa County, and Carrie Lake individually submitting FOIA requests to demand records from Maricopa County, and they have refused all of those requests, right? Now, here's the thing. Carrie Lake has a five-day window where she can actually challenge the election results. It's so crazy to me. I mean, it just blows my mind that whoever the legislators were that wrote this law thought this was a good idea. Unless you're part of a fraudulent system and you want to protect a bunch of criminals. Because think about this. You, in Arizona, can only challenge an election within a five-day window after the election is certified. And so, here we have a situation where Carrie Lake um, wants to challenge the election and she needs evidence for her court case. So, she puts in FOIA requests to the county. And the county refuses to give her those documents and records before that window lapses, right? So, so it, it makes it very difficult for her to formulate, you know, a case because they won't give her the evidence. So she had to take them to court, and guess what? The county, I just read up on their, you know, how this is going. First of all, the county didn't want the courts to expedite this, but Carrie Lake actually got it expedited, meaning... You know, they'll get a decision pretty quickly, but there still hasn't been a decision made. <laughs> and so the, the county is pissed that this has been expedited, and now they're saying it should be dismissed because effectively what the what the county attorney is saying <laughs> is that we've got a lot of requests, okay, and we don't think it's fair that Carrie Lake should get to jump to the front of the line. <laughs> this is what they're trying to tell the judge. They're saying... Well, that would just be unfair. She doesn't just get to make a cutsy to the front of the line. We have plenty of requests to deal with, and we're already, you know, overworked. And, and, and Carrie Lake wants to make these baseless claims of election fraud, and the court shouldn't allow her to do that. This is what the, this is what the, the, the county attorney is saying. So they want this dismissed. They do not want her to have the evidence to go to court. And anybody who's not an idiot can see that the reason is because they're criminals and they don't want to have to turn over the evidence of their crimes. 
So the problem here that Carrie Lake has is even though this has been expedited, um, there probably won't be a decision made within this window that she has, okay? So she's not going to be able to get that evidence to put in her original uh, petition to the courts, okay? So I know that she doesn't have that evidence because Maricopa County has refused. And so Carrie Lake going to the media and saying, we think we can prove hundreds of thousands of illegal votes were counted in Arizona is very peculiar to me. Because where is she getting where is she getting that evidence from? Where did that come from, right? I mean, it's it's very interesting. So I have a couple of ideas, theories, you know. It it it, it could be this. We know that Carrie Lake has um she's had hundreds upon hundreds of voters, disenfranchised voters, or people that witness corruption on election day, whatever. They have sworn affidavits, okay? So maybe Carrie Lake plans to use that as evidence and say, hey, we've got 200 people here that witnessed, you know, ballots being not counted or, or they were disenfranchised or whatever. Um, maybe Maybe those people... Maybe that's where her evidence is coming from. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's evidence of ballot harvesting mules. <laughs> I I was one I keep wondering after this election, I'm like, whatever happened to that? Because wasn't wasn't Arizona like ground zero where the whole mules theory formulated? And you know, there's there's supposedly this massive trafficking cartel in Arizona a ballot harvesting mules, right? And we had people monitoring drop boxes to make sure it doesn't happen again recording things and all that. So where's the evidence for that? I mean, it has to be somewhere, and maybe there's people that have that evidence and are keeping it, um, you know, keeping it low-key for the time being until it's time to present this suit, right? Um, We also know that Carrie Lake has made multiple requests publicly for anybody within Maricopa County or... uh, Katie Hobbs office to come forward if they want to expose the corruption. So maybe Carrie Lake has, you know, evidence from somebody from uh, Katie Hobbs office. Maybe she has evidence from sworn affidavits of, of voters. Maybe she has evidence of ballot harvesting mules. I don't know. Maybe she has all of all of the above. But what we do know is that Carrie Lake plans to file a mother of all lawsuits on Monday. Okay. And this is this is going to get interesting, folks, you know, because uh, I think she's got a lot working against her. I really do. You know, th- I- I've told you guys, you know, my thoughts about this, that it's not Carrie Lake's fault, but the courts in Arizona are extremely crooked and corrupt. We've seen it time and time again. We've seen that her lawyers just got sanctioned for bringing a case challenging the Dominion machines and essentially the judge said that your claims were so baseless and you are, are are destroying democracy, spreading false information about elections. And we think that this case was such BS that we're going to fine your attorneys and hope that that would prevent future lawsuits of a similar nature being filed. That just happened like a week ago, okay? And I've, I've told you guys my thoughts about the the uphill battle that Carrie Lake is going to have if she goes to court saying that machines broke down and disenfranchised voters. 
The reason for that is because there was a case in the 2020 election, Aguilera versus Fontes, where uh, a voter and her husband, their ballots appeared to not be counted. They went to check the, the website directory, and it said that she hadn't voted, and it was because the, the Dominion machines wouldn't take her ballot. So they sued, and the courts essentially said that there's nothing in Arizona statute, there's nothing in the elections procedure manual, which says that machines have to work perfectly. And there's nothing in the law that says elections have to be perfect. Okay, so Maricopa County is going to take that case, they're going to take the quotes from that judge, and they're going to put it in their defense argument against Kerry Lake. And if you get the wrong judge, that judge is going to be like, well, there's already been a similar case brought, and the decision was made that machines don't have to be perfect. So it doesn't matter that 50% of the machines weren't working on Election Day, uh, because there's nothing in Arizona law that says elections have to be perfect. Okay, so, um, like I said, I think Carrie Lake has an uphill battle, but I do think that she's got the goods. Okay, and she's been very smart. She's the only person in Arizona that plans to bring a legal challenge to this election that knew in advance that you have to wait until the election is certified, right? We had Abraham Hamaday. Um, he brought a lawsuit and it was dismissed. Josh Barnett, he tried to file an injunction to stop the certification and that was dismissed. And every court case that's been brought has been dismissed prematurely. Or, or, you know, they say it's premature because you have to wait till it's already certified. Carrie Lake already knew that, or her attorneys did. And so they're strategically playing this out. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely hoping for the best here, but I'm also prepared for the worst because I've, I've almost got desensitized to, you know, when you, when you challenge an election, I think we've all kind of got the gist of what happens. But, um, you know... If this gets in front of a judge, if Carrie Lake can actually file a petition that's strong enough and she can you know get around the standing issue, then you know this whole thing with with Maricopa County refusing to turn over that evidence, the records, that's not going to be an issue uh, because if she can get the, the the original petition accepted by the judge, get around the standing issue and get this to a courtroom, well, she can add all that stuff later. You know what I mean? She can she can buy herself enough time to get a, get a hold of those documents as these court proceedings are playing out. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, the fact that the judge decided to expedite this matter is a good thing. Um, so, we got a lot going on in Arizona. Now, let's talk about Mo- Mojave County planning to sue Maricopa. Uh, so, whoops, I meant to pull that up there. Okay, there we go. Arizona Mojave County Board of Supervisors are going to discuss litigation against Maricopa County following a fraudulent election. On November 8th, 2022, at least 50% of the tabulators or printers were not operating on election day. Blah, 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 blah. We know that we know the story. Okay, so basically on December 15th, Mojave County, Arizona Board of Directors are going to discuss possible litigation against Maricopa County for stealing the 2022 election from the people of Arizona. Now, that's what the Gateway Pundit says is the reason. 
basically, what we have is an agenda item in Mojave County because they have their, I guess, weekly meetings. So on the 15th, they have a meeting, and one of the items on the agenda is to discuss possible litigation against Maricopa County and the Arizona Secretary of State over the 2022 election. Now, I would assume the reason would be because the botched election in Maricopa County affects Mojave County. I mean, (laughs) I was looking at, you know, on Twitter, people on the left... They were they were discussing this and they were saying, "Oh, what what grounds does Mojave County have to sue Maricopa? They don't have standing. They have no right to sue." Blah 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 blah. Right? What are you talk? What are these people talking about? How can people not see that if Maricopa County's election is rigged, that if it affects Mojave County and therefore you have standing, you've been injured? I mean, don't the people in Mojave County, uh, like if you have an if you have an illegitimate governor as a result of Maricopa County rigging their election, doesn't that affect Mojave County? Doesn't the attorney general, you know, if, if you rig it for the attorney general, secretary of state, governor, and senator, doesn't that affect Mojave County? I mean, it's just common sense. These people are so stupid and they're so delusional. But it does, you know... This gives me PTSD, though, because remember when Ken Paxton, he joined together with a bunch of attorney generals after the 2020 election and sued the swing states? Because, well, obviously, if the swing states rigged the election for Joe Biden, then, you know, Texas and Missouri and Louisiana, all these states have to live with an unelected, illegitimate dictator as a result of their actions. But the courts actually dismissed that for lack of standing. So, I think that, uh, without a doubt, it should be obvious to anybody that Mojave County has standing because they're the injured party. They are an injured party due to Maricopa's actions, but I would anticipate, just because of everything I've seen for the last two years, that a judge would say, well, you lack standing because your voters don't live in Maricopa County. So, you're not the injured party here. This doesn't affect you. Um... So I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I do want to commend Mojave County for growing some balls and fighting back. Cochise County, same thing. Okay, it is a little disappointing that these people did certify the election under duress, but putting myself in their shoes, they were threatened with a Class 6 felony and threatened with jail time, and basically... um. If they didn't certify that election, you know what would have happened? Then they would have been removed from office and replaced by someone who would. And it would have happened real, real quick. So those were their options. Either certify or we remove we remove you from your position and replace you with somebody who would. And we're going to also put you in jail. So if I was in their shoes, I'm not going to lie. I would have I probably uh, been forced to certify because I wouldn't want... To be replaced by somebody who is worse than I am. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. Anyways. Alright, so, let's talk. Let's see, what do we got? Oh, oh, I wanted to also talk about this. Let's see. Having a little trouble today with my technical difficulties. But, so check this out. Now, this... I'm not sure, is Arizona Sun-Times a liberal outlet, or are they 
you know, more conservative or, or unbiased? Because I'm not too sure. But Arizona Sun-Times appears to be admitting that there is definitely election fraud in Arizona. Um, the Gateway Pundit reported on this previously, how the numbers in Arizona make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And now the Arizona Sun-Times has picked this up and actually is saying that, yeah, we had a data analyst look at these numbers and none of this shit makes any sense whatsoever. And there's clearly some sort of election fraud here. So this is a pretty big deal. This is a, I do know that this is a big publication in Arizona. You have the AZ Central. You have the Arizona Sun-Times. Those are like the two biggest outlets in Arizona. So one of the biggest news publishers, uh, one of the biggest news sites, is admitting that there's got to be some sort of fraud out here. Check this out. Investigations are continuing into the election anomalies in Arizona where Republicans performed fairly well except for in the top four Trump-endorsed races. Analytics 805 examined the numbers of who voted in most of the races and discovered that Republican candidates outside of the four races performed incredibly well, in contrast, as much as 200% better. Analytics 805 founder Thomas Cole told the Arizona Sun-Times, quote, we look, I'm sorry, we took the Arizona election numbers and made this chart to visually show the improbability of Kerry Lake losing while the entire state of Arizona voted Republican for the state Senate and U.S. House races. We saw a two to one Republican versus Democrat vote in the state Senate races. So it makes no sense to think those Republicans suddenly flipped to Democrat Katie Hobbs for governor by a 25% margin. Now, I got to give credit to Mr. Joe Oltman because this article was published as a result of this data analyst checking out Joe Oltman's conservative daily podcast where Oltman crunched the numbers. So, if you guys are not subscribed to conservative daily podcast, then please do so, especially if you're in this election fraud fight because those guys are at it every single day, and that's pretty much all that they talk about. Um, and you, you have some of the most uh, talented people coming on that show, breaking things down on a daily basis. So, the the, the Arizona Sun Times and this uh, these data analysts at Analytics 805 are saying there's no freaking way that you had Republicans in the state Senate. People were voting for them two to one. But all of a sudden, when it comes to the four races for uh, Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham, Abraham Hamaday, and what am I missing? The f- oh, and Blake Masters. God, he's so forgettable. <laughs> when it comes to those four, then like it, it swung a 25% margin for the Democrats. And that makes no sense. You know, You know what these people will try to tell you? They'll say, well, it's because they were Trump-backed candidates, election deniers. Okay, well then riddle me this, Batman. Wasn't the Arizona Senate the most heavily scrutinized slate of Republicans in the frickin' country for, you know, conducting a hyper-partisan uh, election audit? Wasn't, what, wasn't the state Senate demonized? for conducting a circus show election audit to try to uh, dis- disenfranchise voters and destroy democracy. 
So you're telling me that they got a pass and all these Republicans voted for them, but they just couldn't go for the Republican endorsed candidates, Blake Masters, Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham, and uh, God, my Abraham Hamaday. My memory's terrible today. Tell me how that makes sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. Either you're going to vote for Wendy Rogers, and you're, you're not. Nobody's going to vote for Wendy Rogers and Katie Hobbs. You, nobody's going to vote for Senator Warren Peterson and uh, Maez for Attorney General. That, that, that just that's, it doesn't make no sense. So the gaslighting is it doesn't work in this case. You know, you could try to tell me that the reason that uh, Herschel Walker lost in in Georgia is because he was endorsed by Trump. Okay, because at least you got the fact that um, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger were completely demonized by the 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 entire MAGA movement. Okay, so m- that at least makes sense on some level. But when you when you talk about Arizona, you had the 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 post election audit of two point one million ballots. That for nine months, the media demonized as an attempt to disenfranchise voters and discredit the election process and reinstate uh, Donald Trump and overthrow democracy. That's what they said for nine months. So if Carrie Lake is guilty and Mark Fincham's guilty and people won't vote for them, then you would have seen a complete sweep of Democrats in the state Senate race. You see what I mean, Jelly Beans? See how this makes no sense? Um, They go on to say, Incumbent State Treasurer Kimberly Yee, a Republican who was not endorsed by Donald Trump and who ran a relatively low-profile office, received about 283,000 more votes than her challenger, which is a significant 11% difference. Who the hell is... Who's out there enthusiastically voting for a state treasurer anyway? Nobody. How does the how does the state treasurer get like three hundred thousand more more votes than her challenger and swing the election eleven percent? But uh, Abraham Hamaday loses by five hundred one votes. Come on. So they conclude with: Does anyone really believe that the voters prefer GOP state senate candidates with a thirty four percent advantage, yet swung back dramatically to favor? Democrats buy up to 5% margins in four other races, Cole said. It defies the odds. I can understand a few percentage points difference, but around one-third of voters voting Democrat in some races, but Republican in others, makes no sense. The margins are too grossly different. So now we have mainstream media publications questioning the numbers in Arizona. You know, we, we have... Um, I mean, it's it's like this election was the biggest red pill ever, okay? Because we were saying for two years that elections are rigged and, you know, people were dismissing it because a lot of the evidence was hidden, out of plain sight. I mean, it's hard to... If you're not paying close attention, you're not going to see these people that dismiss and call us election deniers. They weren't there when we were trying to... Uh, get the source code for the Dominion machines and they wouldn't let us. They weren't there and they didn't see when the chain of custody documentation in Georgia was completely non-existent. They didn't see these these anomalies that we saw where 
the, the, the Republicans in, I mean, Republicans refused to let us see our own ballots. All they saw was that the post-election recounts, you know, turned up the same and uh, the, the court cases were dismissed. And so they're like, ah, this is just baseless. They're election deniers. But when you have Arizona run an election where in plain daylight, everybody can see 50% of the machines just happen to miraculously not work. And then all these people that vote on election day are waiting in four hour lines and thousands of them turned away. There's no getting around that one. There's no way that you can look at that and say, well, yeah, that, 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 that looks good. That, 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 that makes sense to me when you know that the, the, uh, the people voting for Carrie Lake show up on election day. I mean, come on, man. So this is, this has been the biggest red pill and the biggest jolt to the election activist movement, people fighting for free and fair elections ever. It may have been the greatest gift we've ever gotten. And I told people, I told people, I said, you know, if 2020 woke up like 50% of people and then they go ahead and rig 2022, then you're going to have like 70% of people awake. And if you have 70% of people awake, this system cannot sustain itself. It can't. Because this entire election fraud apparatus depends on people's ignorance. It completely depends on people's ignorance and complacency. Okay? They need people to stay asleep with this stuff. You know, because this has been going on for a long time. There was documentaries being made decades ago by a, a lady named Bev Harris. If you want, if you want to watch a, a, a kick-ass documentary, there's one, I think it's called Black Box. But Bev Harris was uncovering this stuff years ago. But nobody would listen. Nobody would listen. It just didn't get the kind of traction that, um, you know, that we have right now. So th this isn't a new thing. What it's going to take is for people to wake up and see that elections in this country are a complete and total charade. And it is happening. It is happening. Okay, so with that said, let's see. What do we got? Oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. So um, this broke This broke yesterday. Christina Bob, she posted, I guess, the footnotes from a... It was a subcommittee held by CISA where... Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer and Vijaya Gad of Twitter, they had like this private meeting. It was not released to the public, but they had a private meeting before the midterms where they were conspiring and communicating about how they were going to combat so-called misinformation around the upcoming election. And so Stephen Richer, he was there giving tips to CISA. He was, uh, he was giving tips to CISA on how to be more effective at silencing speech around the election. And one of the things that he said was that, um, you know, we need to get, we need to get better at pre-bunking, which means not deep, debunking is when I guess you, you, uh, fact check it after the fact, but pre-bunking is where you anticipate that people are going to spread misinformation so you want to get the facts straight before that even has a chance to happen. So Stephen Richer was talking about 
the need to pre-bunk information. And uh, he gave a couple of examples as to why that's so important. And one of the examples he gave was the Gateway Pundit's false and misleading information around the 2020 election. Said that these, these guys out there, they're, they're just destroying democracy with their lies. And that we need, to, we need to be prepared more so this time to discredit them you know, in their coverage of the 2022 midterms. Right, so the Gateway Pundit obviously saw this, and they were like, "What the hell? Screw this guy, dude! This guy—I don't even know what to call him, man." He, I mean, this 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 guy is—let's just—he's Mark Burnovich's little twink, okay? He's the deep state's little twink, okay? And it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that he was you know, backstage conspiring with CISA and Twitter for these midterm elections. Doesn't surprise me one bit. Okay. Um, and especially when, when we know that Katie Hobbs was trying to silence people way back in January of 2021. We covered that on this show. Katie Hobbs, actually, we have an email that was released from the Missouri versus Biden case where she was submitting an account for review to Twitter, the DHS, CISA, and CIS security. And and the account was banned, right? So, <clears throat> let me just talk about this here for a sec. We know. I, I, I covered this in an audio, uh, like a string of audio recordings on my Telegram channel. And if you guys don't follow me on Telegram, it's at Wilf, W-I-L-F, Moseter. But I covered this in a string of audio recordings yesterday, and I said, you know what? What Christina Bob released to the public, this meeting with CISA, Stephen Richer, and Vijaya Gad, it's actually not illegal, what they did. Because what it was, what it was supposed to be was like a briefing where CISA, the Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency, whose main job is to uh, protect critical infrastructure from cybersecurity threats and, you know, cyber misinformation and blah, 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 right? They were asking for commentary from Twitter and from Stephen Richer on how they are going to each individually combat misinformation, right? So I said this on Telegram. I said, you know, what CIS is doing is partially legal, unfortunately. And the reason is because when Obama left office, just before he left office in 2016, due to the Russia collusion hoax that was perpetuated, where they said that Russians hacked into the machines and rigged the election for Donald Trump, Obama decided to make election equipment like Dominion machines, electronic poll books, into critical infrastructure Critical infrastructure, which means now the federal government has a way of weaseling their way into state-run elections. Because prior to that, the Constitution says that it is the sole authority of the state legislature to set the time, place, and manner of elections. Which means the federal government has absolutely no business in state-run elections. So they're blocked. They can't get involved at all. 
But after Obama made Dominion machines into critical infrastructure, now, now the federal government has a legal responsibility to protect critical infrastructure. Okay, so that was their maneuver. That was their way to get the feds involved. Okay, so now, now every election, we have CISA conspiring with Twitter and these big tech companies and the state election officials conspiring about how they're going to prevent cybersecurity threats, mis- and disinformation, <coughs> excuse me, Cybersecurity threats, mis- and disinformation, right, regarding their critical infrastructure, which is Dominion machines, electronic poll books, and all of the electronic equipment. So, the reason that they're doing this right in front of your face, they're not hiding it whatsoever, they're, they're not worried about it coming out, they're not worried about you finding out about it, is because they know that they're protected by that. They know that they can do this and get away with it. However, and here's the big however. The Missouri versus Biden case lays out why they're actually violating the First Amendment and breaking the law. And the reason is because while they're doing this, while you know people like Katie Hobbs and Stephen Retcher are submitting tickets to Twitter through a, a secret portal to have accounts banned, and then Twitter, the private company, bans the account, and they say, well, that's not a violation of the First Amendment because Twitter's the one that banned them, right? They try to hide under this banner that it's a private company and they're not forcing them to do anything. It, it's Twitter doing it at their own behest, not the government. So, so... They think that they can get away with this. They think that they can convince you that they're not breaking the law. But what the Missouri versus Biden case says, and this is very important, is that the First Amendment, the First Amendment is violated when the government either forces, coerces, or threatens a private company to do things that the government is not allowed to do. Right? And what the federal government has been doing, the Democrats in Congress, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, they've all been getting on their soapboxes and saying that we have a huge problem with misinformation on the Internet and big tech has not been being responsible in, in censoring and blocking misinformation and therefore we need to amend Section 230 and remove their liability protection. So guess what? There's your threat. There's your force. There's your coercion. Because when you have Congress over here threatening to punish big tech, and then you see examples of the government uh, reaching through a, a private secret portal to have certain accounts banned and certain information censored, while they're waving this threat over their head, boom, now you've got a First Amendment clear violation. Oh, Mr. Robert Walter says, stay on it, brother. You bet I will. I'm not letting go of this crap. You know, it's just, we're living in a dystopian nightmare, man. What do you expect me to do? Of course I'm going to stay on it, brother, till we win, till we freaking win. I'm coming at these bastards, and I'm not going to stop, okay? That's my strategy for winning is to just keep coming after these bastards 
keep exposing them, keep the pressure on, never let up, never let go, because we can't afford to. Ah. So look, like I said, when they do this stuff, they'll do it right in front of your face, and they think that they're protected. They think that they're safe. They think that they can use this uh, private company narrative and critical infrastructure narrative to protect themselves from any legal liability. But um, that's falling apart on them because the Missouri versus Biden case cites countless examples of how they've been threatening big tech this entire time. So when the FBI sits down, when the FBI sits down with Twitter and says, we're anticipating a hack and leak operation involving Hunter Biden. And we think that you should be on high alert. And if you see anything like this, well, it would probably be in your best interest to ban it and suppress it. Because uh, you, you wouldn't want the Democrats to regulate big tech now, would you? That's definitely 100,000% a violation of the First Amendment. But, you know, they try to hide behind proxies like they have their, their guy, Jim Baker, at Twitter who used to work for the FBI, but now he's in the private sector, and he has all these friends in the FBI, and obviously they're using him as a proxy to try to protect themselves from any legal culpability, but really he still works for the FBI. They try to do stuff like that. They try to have Obama, who's no longer an elected official, go out there and speak at universities about this problem with misinformation, and then the media props it up and, and makes it go viral, to try to get everybody on board with, um, you know, <laughs> you know, hating free speech. They try to use Obama because he's not a sitting president. He's not an elected official. But, but, we have tons and tons of people that are sitting, you know, in Washington, D.C. right now, <clears throat> threatening to uh, punish big tech. So, so anybody who tries to tell me that what was released on Twitter and all this stuff doesn't constitute a violation of the First Amendment, I call total bullshit. And I want you guys to go out there and I want you to argue with people, not argue, but debate people, and show them the, the examples of Katie Hobbs and Stephen Richer conspiring with CISA and Twitter. And when they say, oh, that's not illegal, that's not a violation of the First Amendment, tell them that, yes, it is, Yes, it is, because these Democrats in Congress are threatening big tech, and uh, boom, you win. Okay? So, there's that. There's that. Now, uh, I want to shift gears here and talk about something very important. Our, our good friend, Mr. Brian Lupo, a.k.a. CanCon, Cannabis Conservative, uh, he's one of my great friends, one of my best friends in this, you know, digital, digital space. And he is actually doing, you guys know that he's a, he's a publisher for the Gateway Pundit. He's actually in Tampa covering, giving, uh, giving live on-the-ground coverage of this trial of retired Green Beret Jeremy Brown. And what was uncovered, I think yesterday, is that his attorneys are alleging that the FBI planted evidence in his trial. So this was written up by Brian Lupo, and I got to say, man, 
The dude is a, an excellent writer. So I want to read most of this article um, because it just completely brilliantly lays it all out and it's easy to understand. All right, so this is the first update. First day in the courtroom, but the trial second day. Special thanks to Jeremy Brown's campaign for filling me in this morning and during breaks. The trial of political prisoner Jeremy Brown has been underway since Monday with jury selection. However, the fireworks began to fly immediately on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Gateway Pundit previously reported on the retired Army Green Beret CCTV footage of federal agents, federal agents offering him a paid informant job on January 6th at his home in December 2020. Okay, so this guy, Jeremy Brown, they tried to make him into a Ray Epps type of figure. They offered him a job as a confidential informant to infiltrate the January 6th event, right? However, he, he denied that and turned it down and then became a whistleblower to, to you know expose the FBI that they were trying to make him a plant. So, of course, you can imagine that now they're trying to, to, um, to punish this guy. They're trying to set him up. And it's, it's very clear if you just listen to the evidence. After seeing the testimony of prominent FBI officials lying and the treatment of American citizens being denied their constitutional rights, he decided to release his footage publicly in March 2021. So I'm not going to play the footage. It's, it's kind of old news at this point. He later had his home raided and searched by the FBI in September 2021 after being accused of committing two misdemeanors in Washington, D.C. Misdemeanors. Misdemeanors. Two. <laughs> they raided this dude's home. Over two misdemeanors. Jeremy Brown was arrested that day and has been held in prison in Florida ever since. Dude, this guy has been in prison since September 2021 for two misdemeanors, man. This is a, this is a retired Green Beret. It's sick, man. These people just sit in, in prison waiting trial. I've never seen anything like it, but this is actually in Tampa. So this is in Ron DeSantis's state. He's not in, he's not in Washington, D.C. He's not even in the gulags, but they came and raided his home and he's been in prison ever since. So here was his crime. He rescued a woman that day from police. Misdemeanors are now somehow grounds for full-blown tactical raids and searches on retired U.S. military with over 20 years of dedicated service to the Constitution. A magistrate judge, which is not mentioned anywhere in Article 3 of the Constitution, can take away your constitutional rights. During the raid, the FBI found two illegal firearms, a short-barreled rifle, and a sawed-off shotgun, which Brown does not seem to deny. So, Okay, so this part's very important. So they raided the dude's home, and they found two illegal firearms. One is a short-barreled rifle, and one is a sawed-off shotgun. All right, so so he he uh he did break the law. It appears he did break the law. Sawed-off shotgun, not not good. But here's where he claims that they set him up and planted evidence. They also claim to have found two M67 fragmentation grenades and a compact disc containing numerous classified secret documents from 2004 and 2005 involving Brown's role 
in the Bo Bergdahl POW recovery mission. Brown's attorney claims it was planted. Now, I don't know whether it was planted or not, but I do find it interesting that, first of all, this guy, I mean, we know how the, we know the FBI Stasi jackbooted thug tactics, right? They wanted this guy to be an informant and he wouldn't. He refused to be an informant. And then he became a whistleblower and released the footage of them trying to make him an informant. So you know he's got a red X on his back. And shortly after that, they raided his home over two misdemeanors. So the evidence is stacking up against the FBI already. The other thing I think is interesting here is that he's willing to admit that the short-barreled rifle and sawed-off shotgun were his. He didn't deny that. Okay, so, I mean, typically when somebody's claiming innocent, uh, claiming that they're being set up, they're not going to admit to any crime. They're going to say, all of it's fabricated. They set me up with all of it. But he <coughs> he admitted to the two firearms being his, but he's denying that these M67 fragmentation grenades and compact discs of classified secrets are not his. Okay? So, um... Now, now, let's listen to more of the evidence here. During opening statements, Master Sergeant Brown's attorney, Roger Futerman, specifically used the word planted when he was ref- referring to the evidence allegedly found by the FBI supporting counts three through nine, which involved the possession of two hand grenades and classified documents. Coincidentally, all of Brown's CCTV cameras around the house were turned off by the FBI to protect themselves and their tactics. Of course they were. Of course, the cameras were turned off. I mean, just like they were at Mar-a-Lago. Just like they won't release the the footage from Washington, D.C. from January 6th, the 14,000 hours of footage. Um, just like they won't release the footage from the Paul Pelosi uh, gay sex orgy thing, whatever that was, with you know where they where they both hammered each other. I, I don't know. I never cared enough to pay close attention to that. But there was something where Paul Pelosi got hammered with a gay, homeless, um, LGBTQ, BLM supporting Trump supporter, and uh, you know they they still haven't released the footage from that. So it's a recurring theme. They always turn the cameras off, and then they won't. Uh, and and then they then then when people say that they planted evidence uh we're supposed to believe the FBI so according to testimony from a Tampa police department detective with 22 years of experience as a bomb tech law enforcement will often turn off the homeowners cameras so that anyone inside the house wouldn't see them coming huh what are you talk what are you talking about so Turn off the homeowner's cameras so that... So I guess if you're going to raid somebody's home, then and you're trying to flank them, and you're trying to get in there without being seen, I guess that would make sense, but I would be like, why did my cameras go off? You know? Let me take a sip of my water here. When Futerman noted that Brown and his girlfriend were already outside of the house and posed no threat... The detective appeared stumped and then claimed it was to protect the tactics used. They weren't turned back on once the house was clear of, quote, suspects, and the search began. <laughs> so they t- so here's what they did. They turned off the cameras and they said, it's because we don't want them to see us coming. Right? But once they determined that they were both already outside, you would think, 
Okay, we can turn the cameras back on because we're about to conduct a search of his entire home. But no, they didn't turn the cameras back on and proceeded to search his entire home with the cameras off. Additionally, none of the police officers on the raid had a functioning body camera that day. <laughs> How convenient. Not a single police officer had a, had a functioning body camera that day. When does that happen? Oh, when you're trying to set somebody up and plant evidence in their house. Hillsborough Co- uh, County Sheriff Detective Belvin Sanchez was on the scene to help process the evidence when he discovered the weapons, grenades, and the CD in the blue case inside the RV containing classified documents. Sanchez couldn't tell Futterman what time he arrived on the scene, though. Not not even simply whether it was morning, afternoon, evening, etc., and he didn't know if anyone had been inside the RV prior to his arrival. Once he discovered the M67 grenades, they cleared the scene and line of sight for the bomb techs to render it safe for two hours. <clears throat> now, this is the only thing I've highlighted because I think this is the real... This is the, this is the evidence here that I think is most important. The two M67 fragmentation grenades had tape wrapped around them. It was discovered through testing that the tape contained male DNA samples, none of them which were matched to brown. Further, there were multiple hair types and textile fibers pulled from the tape. None of them matched Brown's dog that traveled to D.C. with him as well as over the past several months of use. Despite the sticky part of the tape being exposed, as was shown in the pictures today, the fibers from the segments of carpet throughout the home and RV were not a match either. According to FBI fibers expert Kimberly Rubush's testimony. So at the very least, at the very least, the, the, the hand grenades were not taken to Washington, D.C. if they try to uh, claim that that's what happened. Because you would have carpet fibers from the RV. You would have uh, hair from the dog that rode with him for sure. And none of the DNA matches. Uh, none of the DNA matches Brown. I would like to know. Okay, well, whose DNA does it match? Because if it's a freaking FBI agent, then that's case closed, open and shut, easy one. But look, I mean, if you, it's kind of weird. Okay, if you're the FBI and you're going to set somebody up and you're going to frame them, you know how this is going to go down. Like, aren't you going to put a little of his DNA on it? And don't don't they do that when people uh? When people get suicided by Hillary Clinton, I'm pretty sure they take the the, the handgun and, and put it in their hand so that it has their fingerprints on it, right? In case anybody asks any questions. Come on, you're telling me the FBI isn't as, as smart as the frickin' Clinton Foundation at setting people up? Come on. So it's a little weird here. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm not... I try not to sensationalize things and automatically just be like, oh yeah, that's... They set him up. I mean, the guy had a sawed-off shotgun... Um, is it, is it crazy, crazy out of the, out of this world to think that he might have a couple hand grenades? I don't know. But the point is that dude, all he committed was two freaking misdemeanors and exposed the FBI for trying to make him an FBI informant. Okay. So obviously he's being targeted as a po- uh, political, he's, he's a political target. That's obvious. No matter how the evidence plays out. Why did they raid the dude's home? Because of two misdemeanors. You know, where the where the footage of what he actually did was he was trying to protect somebody. Um, it's just nuts, man. 
<sighs> so, got a, I got a couple more things here for you. But before we go any further, if you guys could do me a favor and smash the rumble button. And if you're new to this channel, hit that subscribe button. I want you guys to be notified whenever we go live, which is kind of all over the place. I'm not able to stick to a schedule. But it's been, you know, most days <laughs> around noon. Okay, so, but if you actually hit subscribe and turn your notifications on for this channel, and, you know, you get that banner notification, then you'll know when we go live. But also because we're trying to build out this channel, you know, and I, I just would appreciate it. So, um, one more thing before we move on. I want to let you guys know... Christmas is right around the corner, and Mike Lindell at MyPillow.com is having an 80% off massive Christmas sale. And there is not a single better gift that you could give your loved ones than a MyPillow product because, one, who doesn't want a better night's sleep? Two, you'd be supporting American business. Three, you know, you'll be supporting the great, great patriot, Mike Lindell, who's put his you know, his company, his reputation on the line to expose the deep state election fraud. And you'll also be supporting this channel because a little bit of it goes to Nick Mosier. So promo code Nick, if you can save up to 80% off and you can put smiles on all your loved ones' faces. So go to MyPillow.com, enter promo code Nick and save a ton of money. All right. Uh, so let's get to the next thing here. I found a couple things funny that I wanted to share with you guys. Okay, so first of all, first of all, there's a big old strike going on with the New York Times. New York Times union staffers to stage first walkout in 40 plus years. Now, I'm not going to read the details because I don't care that much, but this is great. This is great. This works out, this works out for me just fine. Because uh, the New York Times is a freaking propaganda rag. They are literally an arm of the Democrat Party. So if the, if the union staffers want to stage a walkout and protest and encourage people not to read the New York Times, go for it. I'm all for it, man. Oh, let's put a smile on my face today. This is like, so I guess they're they're saying the New York Times isn't paying them enough and wouldn't negotiate their wages for the union as being a bunch of crybabies. Um, so I have an idea. How about the New York Times actually publish news and actually cover facts instead of sensationalized anti-Donald Trump America-hating um, bullshit? How about you stop being a propaganda rag? Then people will actually read the New York Times, and then you can pay your uh, employees more, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a free market capitalist, okay? So I'm not... Look, the, the the unions arguing for better wages. I mean, I'm I'm I'm. It's not something I would normally. Because I I just you know the whole minimum wage crap. You know it, it always it always transfers to the consumer, and it's it's bad for it's bad for uh, business. But at the same time, in this case, I'm all for it, baby. My hat's off to you guys out there at the New York Times Union. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Matter of fact, this is supposed to be a 24-hour ban. Let's make it permanent. Let's make it a permanent walkout. Okay? Just never come back. Now, check this out. <laughs> check this out. <laughs> this guy actually agrees with me, and he's got a freaking uh, Ukraine flag in his bio. He says, I want to take this opportunity to express my very strong support for the New York Times writers 
strike. A strike is clearly the best option for them. My only complaint is that 24 hours is not enough of a strike. In fact, they should stay on strike forever. I don't know if this guy's a troll or not, but if he's not, <laughs> then these people are just idiots, but uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm okay with that. Then this, there was this other, this other person. Oh, listen, we're asking readers to not engage in any New York Times platforms tomorrow and stand with us on the digital picket line. <laughs> what a bunch of losers! The digital picket line. Oh my God! Look at her. This is definitely a Karen. Your name is not Amanda Hess. It's Karen. Look at her little turtleneck. You look like Velma. Turtleneck glasses and and bowl cut. So Karen Hess says, stand with us on the digital picket line, read local news, listen to public radio, make something from a cookbook, break your wordle streak. <laughs> like, like they they have to give people ideas on what what could you possibly do with your time besides read the freaking New York Times. Oh my God, where am I going to get my misinformation from? Oh my God, where am I going to get my bullshit lies of the day from? Try the Washington Post, I mean the Daily Beast, you got Politico. Come on, there's a smorgasbord of propaganda lags peddling bullshit to choose from. Don't act like the New York Times has a monopoly on lies. Come on, you guys can cope. You'll be all right for 24 hours. Ah, sheesh, man. Gosh, that one just had me cracking up. I I got another one for you. I I guess I'm just, you know, showing you guys funny things on the internet at this point. But check this one out. So Clown World is a funny um, a funny Twitter account. This dude actually tried to fight somebody for not wearing a mask. <laughs> oh, marshmallow arms. He's got his 110-pound wife holding him back. <laughs> over over not somebody not somebody not wearing a mask and walking too close to him like tell me tell me how this makes sense the dude without a mask came too close to me so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna try to rush after him and get get up in his face and pretend i want to fight him come on look I, I i've seen a lot of people fight i've been in a couple myself this dude never wanted a confrontation uh, from the get-go, you know, like when you when your wife's holding you back and you're gonna sit there and act like you can't break away and go fight the man. Come on, and and <laughs> I mean, I mean, what what world are we living in? This can't be real. We you can't. How can you still be so afraid of COVID that you're gonna get all aggro and and pretend to be an alpha male because somebody walked too close to you? And also. <laughs> Also, literally in the background, there's like 50 people not wearing a mask. Like, <laughs> like, as he's going towards the guy, he's walking past people without masks on. And then behind him are people without masks on. There's another, that guy got too close to him too. The ball guy needs to get the business, man. Look, there's like 50 people behind him. Guys walking up to him, console him, don't have masks on. But he wants to, like, I, I just have a, I don't know, is this, maybe this is fake, but it's still entertaining. But still, dude, imagine, you know, imagine you want to fight somebody, 
because they they didn't wear a mask and got too close to you. And then you go to jail. <laughs> and then <laughs> you got a lot more problems than people not having masks on. You got to worry about Bubba not having a mask on. You got <laughs> you got to worry about Bubba not wearing a rubber. Oh jeez, man. You got to worry about more than COVID, man. You got to worry about AIDS out there. Oh, all right, all right, all right. People not going to like them. Okay, so any- <laughs> I was cracking up about that. Dude's got to have five people hold him back from getting closer to the guy that he wants to fight for getting too close to him. Shoot. So I got a kick out of that one. All right, so I got a couple more things before we get out of here. Again, make sure to smash that rumble button. Um... But check this out. So I covered the other day that Florida decided to pull out of BlackRock and go with a better um, asset manager than BlackRock because of their freaking ESG woke agenda. And we've talked about ESG lots of times on this show, but maybe I should just give you guys a brief overview of what it means. ESG is environment, social justice, and government. So BlackRock, this $10 trillion behemoth, takes your money and then decides to basically manipulate the global economy with $10 trillion to try to push the woke agenda. So basically BlackRock, they're giving social credit scores to corporations. And if they don't uh, go along with you know the, the green energy agenda, the climate change activists' agenda, if they don't support BLM and LGBTQ, if they don't put the pride flag on their homepage of Amazon, you know, or, or, or whatever, and if they don't basically collude with the government, then BlackRock's going to take that money that they've invested from that company, they're going to take it out and give it to a company that's actually woke and supports their ideology. So they're able to manipulate BlackRock's able to manipulate energy policy and and government policy more than the government. Because when you're a $10 trillion behemoth and you can completely change, you, you can shift, move around billions and billions of dollars and invest in the companies that you want to see succeed that are supporting this climate change agenda and the World Economic Forum's fourth industrial revolution and all that shit, when you have that kind of power, it doesn't matter what the government does. So, Florida has decided to pull their money out of BlackRock. Louisiana, Missouri have decided to pull their money out of BlackRock. And now Texas is actually subpoenaing BlackRock to discover how much of their taxpayer money has been wasted in woke ESG funds. So, I mean, you guys know this, right? If you're uh, if you're BlackRock, you have a legal responsibility to make money for your shareholders, your investors. You, you, you don't you don't get to try to push a, a political agenda. You know you don't get to do that. Your your job is to make money for your agenda, or your your investors. But what BlackRock is doing is BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is a member of the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum believes that we need to dissolve the old guard of capitalism where we make money for our shareholders and adopt something called stakeholder capitalism where we we try to make equitable decisions. We try to force corporations to do things which are best for the environment, for minorities, 
for um, diversity in the workplace and for what's best for everyone's overall health. Right? But it's all, it's all a bunch of bullshit. It's all a bunch of BS. That's not what they do whatsoever. Stakeholder capitalism looks like this in action. Stakeholder capitalism is like, oh, so uh, we're going to create a fake virus. We're going to create a fake global pandemic. Then we're going to allow pharmaceutical companies to rush an emergency use authorization vaccine, which hasn't been tested. And then we're going to mandate it on the people. We're going to force them to take it, an experimental drug, or they'll lose their jobs, or they won't be able to fly on a plane, or they won't be able to get on a, a, you know, a cruise ship. They won't be able to go to the grocery store if they don't take this experimental drug. That's what stakeholder capitalism looks like in action. So this is what the, the BlackRock, this is what BlackRock has been doing. You know, you have the, the government, the media, and all these people creating this climate change hoax, saying we need to get to zero carbon emissions or the frickin' planet's going to explode and everybody's going to die and your kids are going to uh, uh, grow up. The, the world's, I guess, first of all, it was going to go underwater. Al Gore's dumbass said that it was everything's going to go underwater. Now I guess uh, it's just... We move from global warming to climate change. So, But the whole point is we're all going to die. We're all going to die. If we don't get carbon emissions to zero and we get you know destroy the fossil fuel industry and move to um, everything which benefits China, like, China like wind and solar and, and electric vehicles and all that stuff, if we don't do that, everyone's going to die. So we need companies to partner with governments in what's, you know, this stakeholder capitalism where we're not just worried about making money for our investors. We're worried about saving the planet, baby. And we we, we, we got to start worrying about what's best for the greater good around here. That's the basis for what BlackRock is doing. And so Texas is saying, nah, screw that. Screw that bullshit because half the people that have... You have their money, don't even know that this is going on, and don't support these ideas. And your job is to make money for your shareholders. So if you're doing this, if you're going along with this ESG bullshit, and you're losing people money to try to push this woke ideology, then you're going to face legal consequences. And the good news is, this is having a domino effect. You know, we had Florida, Missouri, Louisiana... Texas, all these red states are going after BlackRock, and um, I mean, I mean, like Florida pulled out of BlackRock and pulled like two billion dollars out, and that's not even going to put a dent in BlackRock, who has ten trillion in assets. But it is raising awareness and waking people up, and people are starting to see what's really going on here. And what it's, what it's also doing is causing a domino effect of people being like, all right, um, yeah, I'm pulling my money out of this. I'm, I, I, I didn't know this was going on. I'm pulling my money out. And it's having a chain reaction. So this is a good thing. If you got your money in BlackRock, pull that shit out. Anyways, all right, so one last thing. One last thing before we get out of here. Again, please smash the rumble button and subscribe to this channel. And consider supporting this channel either, you know, um, by going to MyPillow.com and using promo code Nick, going to PrepareWithNickMoseCedar.com and saving $250 off a three-month emergency food kit, 
or by going to nickmosedar.locals.com and becoming a supporter over there because you'll also get access to exclusive content, uh, one video or one live stream a week at least, and uh, it, it really helps helps me stay independent. All right, so one last thing. We talked about what's going on in Arizona, but there's there's something else which is getting way less attention than it deserves, and that is the fact that in Harris County, Texas, you have multiple, a whole slate of candidates saying that they believe the election was stolen in Harris County. Because in Harris County, they ran out of frickin' paper. So did Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. It wasn't just Arizona. This happened in Delaware, New Jersey. Um, This happened in Pennsylvania. This happened in Texas. This happened in so many different states where they ran out of paper. And Harris County, um, a Republican judicial candidate, is contesting the election. Republican judicial candidate Aaron Lunsford filed a petition Wednesday seeking a new election in Harris County's 189th Judicial District Court race after losing by less than 3,000 votes out of a million. Okay? Taylor accused Harris County Elections Administrator Cliff Tatum, who took over the office starting in August of intentionally causing ballot paper shortages in Republican-leaning neighborhoods. Taylor said, quote, if it was just mismanagement, it was just gross incompetence, you wouldn't think that the lack of paper would apply you would think that the lack of paper would apply equally and uniformly across the map so that there would be a, uh, be roughly an equivalent number of democratic strongholds precinct neighborhoods as well as republican neighborhoods right and yet it's not breaking that way taylor alleged 80% of polling places with paper shortages on november 8 we're in areas considered Republican strongholds. 80%. So she's challenging the election there in Harris County and says that there's multiple candidates getting ready to step up and fight back. Um, there, was, there was an investigation open in Harris County. Governor Greg Abbott even called out the uh, botched election in Harris County and called for an investigation. So uh, it's not just Arizona. It's not just Arizona. Now, think about this. <clears throat> you had 80% of Republican-dominated strongholds running out of paper. 20% Democrat. But even if it was 50-50, it wouldn't matter because Republicans vote on Election Day. So don't give me this crap like Bill Gates in, in Maricopa County saying, well, we took a look at the map, and what we found was that the issues were spread out all across the valley, and it didn't affect one party more than another. Bull spit, Bill Gay Ass Gates, because Republicans vote on Election Day. So it's not important to me whether they were Democrat or Republican strongholds. doesn't matter, because the people that showed up on Election Day were Republican. So if you have... On top of that, it was 80% Republican strongholds. Now you've really disenfranchised some votes. Now you've literally manipulated the outcome of an election in broad daylight, and there's no denying it. So they, they got the proof out there in Harris County. But will anything be done about it? I don't know. I don't know. I won't get my hopes up. But I, 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 I always tell you guys, 
it's important to expose the fraud. People always, you know, whenever I expose the fraud, people are like, yeah, but nothing's going to be done about it. Well, it's still important to put, it's still important to put the fraud out there. Because when you wake up enough people, then I'm telling you, this system collapses when you can red pill enough people. When people understand elections are rigged, it's all a charade, it's an illusion of choice, then their system collapses. Because again, it's a one little tiny group, it's a, it's a tiny little group of dictator uh, <coughs> shadowy figures. You got people like Trudeau and Biden in the front, they're the front man. And they're really just celebrities. And then you got the people behind them that live in the shadows that pull their strings and, and you know, give them the talking points. But it's still just a handful of people. And when people realize it's all a big game, it's all a big circle jerk, it's all a charade, then it, it collapses. So that's why it's important to expose this stuff. Even though law enforcement, sheriffs, district attorneys, attorney generals, courts have all shown that they won't even look at this stuff, it's still important. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to shut this down. Um, again, we're trying to go live around noon most days. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know how these other guys do it, stick with a schedule. I don't know how they do it. I'm just My brain just don't operate like that. I'm going to do my best to try to go live every weekday around noon. Okay, Friday is a little iffy, but please at least check. I might be live around noon tomorrow. But what I'm trying to tell you is, I want you to subscribe to this channel. I want you to join this family that we call the Wolf Pack. I want you here. I want you to be a part of this thing. We're a family, and uh, smash that rumble button. Please share this broadcast with a friend. Tell, tell somebody, hey, there's this crazy ginger. There's this crazy ginger, and he... You know, he's not that smart, but he tries really hard. And, uh, it's, you know, it's somewhat entertaining to listen to, right? Come on, come on. So anyways, guys, smash the rumble button, subscribe, share. Check out our affiliate links in the description. Check out nickmoseeder.locals.com. Check in tomorrow around noon. Thanks for watching, and I will see you next time.